Hello and welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. It is time for playoff baseball and the Yankees are out golfing. What went wrong in 2024? Eh, 2023. What might go wrong in 2024? Let's hit it. So much. <laughs> Welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. Please ignore my botched intro. My name is Liam. I'm joined as always by Jake. Jake, how's it going? Pretty good. We're a little bit rusty at this. Um, it's been been a minute since we've had really anything to talk about. And now there's like a lot and also a little to talk about all at the same time. So I feel like we're just kind of finding our groove again. Um, but I am doing well. Had a nice nap as we talked about before. Um, but here we are. And looks like the Rangers are about to sweep the Tampa Bay Rays going into the wild card series or going into the ALDS, I should say. Baseball happens quick, man. Um, I'm wearing my Barcelona jersey because I just took in uh, an unconvincing one nothing win from Barcelona over Porto in the UEFA Champions League group stage. But at least it seems like Barcelona might make the playoffs um, where the Yankees didn't. Um, and that's really what what we have to talk about and as well as some previews for next year i mean I'll, a lot of things happen in yankee land as we for the first time in my memory really um maybe with the exception of jeter's retirement year the yankees went a full month without a playoff expectation um and that's pretty rare i mean the yankees by a, a moderate miracle finished out september strong ending with an 82 and 80 record to maintain their 31st year in a row, uh, staying above 500. But as you and I know, and as the tone of this show is, um, over 500 isn't the goal. Yes. Um, I believe last time we recorded together, I predicted that the Yankees would finish below 500. They essentially did 82 and 80. It's nice to get above that 500 percentage, but like at the same time, what does it matter when you've been out of the playoff picture for a good long while. Yes, it took them, what, until the final two weeks of the season to be formally eliminated. But at the same time, uh, we talked about this earlier, I felt like the season was over when the last game that we went to together really was uh, against the Cubs. And it was right before the playoffs, or not the playoffs, it was right before the All-Star break. Um, and it looked like we were going to have this crazy comeback win where Volpe hits the go-ahead home run in like the seventh inning and everything was looking good. And then ninth inning comes along, Glaber bobbles a ball and it leads to mayhem and they lose the game. They don't, <laughs> they don't trade for Cody Bellinger. They don't do anything that allows the Cubs to go on the pseudo playoff run. They don't even ma- end up making the playoffs. So that was kind of frustrating to watch um, props to them for making it as long as they did like that NL central was wide open for a while. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those situations where from that point onwards, it felt like we were waiting for like the shoe to drop and they really didn't make any positive improvements until it was well too late and they called up the kids. And from everything we've heard, Cashman was reluctant to do that. So it leads to a lot of questions like what does this front office look like next year? What does this roster look like next year? There's so much that needs to be answered. So many things happened. Um you rehashed the doing nothing at the trade deadline. And we saw a very, like, honestly, like a very mediocre Chicago Cubs team. I, I 
I don't know. We listen to a lot of like baseball, baseball shows, not Yankees baseball shows. And um, they do the right thing by getting fans excited for teams that are on the outside looking in at the playoffs. But I am so tired of teams like the Chicago Cubs, the Cincinnati Reds, even the Seattle Mariners, like the Miami Marlins who are in the playoffs, like looking at those teams and being trying like to get a fake excited about them making the playoffs because they're so mid, they're so mediocre. And, and I understand the market, the markets and, and whatnot. Like we're, we're coming at this from a Yankees lens. Um, but what's infuriating about that is that the Yankees should have gone a direction at the deadline because they could have made the playoffs. You have Jerry DePoto of the Seattle Mariners coming out yesterday or the day before and saying that the Mariners' goal is to win 54% of their games, and that's like a World Series formula. 54% of games is 87 and a half wins. Um, so basically like, oh, the Mariners were successful this year. They won 87 or, or whatnot. Um, I don't know what, what analytic metric went, went into that, but the point of my rant is that like the Yankees had a lot of talent and should be well above 82 wins. They had a lot of decision points throughout the year where it seems like they frequently made the, the wrong decision. Um, and that started in February um, when, when we were looking at a roster being like, Oh, should we even preview the Yankees roster? Because it's obviously unfulfilled. Complete, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was our biggest thing. I think all, offseason right is we were just like oh they're just gonna wait until the trade deadline to make that significant move for a left fielder especially after hicks was dfa'd and after josh donaldson went on the il forever you know it felt like there was going to be an opportunity at least to call one of the kids up at that point in like june that didn't happen that it didn't happen and it was really unexplicable for why you wouldn't make that decision early on and if you're not going to be aggressive buyers or even try to buy for the right player, you know, why not sell then? It, it That's the part that baffles me. Like, I really like Keenan Middleton. I think that he was an actually like a really good pickup. Um, he's someone that I would completely be open if they wanted to re-sign him for 2024. By all means, he's a very reliable, fiery reliever. But at the same time, that's not necessarily what you needed. <laughs> You you address the thing that you already have the most assortment of riches. So where are we going here? And it took them forever to actually lean towards Mike King being a starter. Like, I'm all for Mike King being a starter. I think he's going to be an excellent starter next year. He's, like, got two to three, like, two to three potential. Um, He's that good. He reminds me of Corey Kluber 2.0. At the same time, you had him in limbo for so many months that it's just, like, you costed your team wins and there were different ways to improve the team without going all out. And you just, I don't understand that aspect. Yeah, that it's really interesting. And I think um, we should start this episode by going over the Yankees September. Um, Cause it was a weird September. Um, and we kind of previewed in our last episode, the kids being called up. And that was kind of the Yankees first decision um, really since like 2016 of like, let's just bring up our influx of youth. We're not making a run at the postseason. Um, and that came up with Austin Wells, Jason Dominguez, um, Everson Pereira and Oswald uh, Peraza had already been up for the weeks before. Um, let's start with, let's start with Austin Wells and we can have our Dominguez conversation in a second. What, what did you think 
of Austin Wells' September and what does his future look like? He got better throughout the month. I will start by saying that. Um, I really like his bat. His bat looks good. He you can see you can tell why a lot of scouts have been big on him for a while. Um the glove was always the concern, but it like honestly, from what I've seen as a catcher too, like he looked very natural back there. Um he threw out someone his first game and the like the knock was always on his arm. You don't have to have the strongest arm as long as you have a good quick release. And even with the one knee approach, which can be a little iffy, he was really quick with almost every release that I've seen him throw the ball down on. Um, He looks natural with framing. It looks like he really interacts well with pitchers and that's super valuable, especially like, yes, we know how bad Rodon ended his, uh, his Yankee season. But at the same time, every start besides that, that Wells caught felt like a significant improvement in stride every time that he went out there. And it sounds like there's just like a really good back and forth and they have this good repertoire between them. And then also every other pitcher that he works with. Um, I think that's significant and it's going to make for a very interesting conversation when it comes down to, we've talked about it before, but what do you do with Jose Trevino and Kyle Higashioka? And then also Ben Rortfett because Ben has been catching great for Garrett Cole, but he only catches like once every five games. And there's one reason for that and one reason only and he's the most important arm in the league um it's a really interesting situation i think that his bat is going to play no matter what i would love to see him be a staple of this yankees team i feel like he just brings the right charisma and attitude to a team that needs that injection of youth but also just a new form of leadership um he's the perfect person for that job so austin wells is a big plus for me yeah, and you mentioned his defense, which even Aaron Boone admitted on multiple interviews and press conferences, saying that they were impressed w- with his defense. Like, performance was greater than the expectation. Um, I don't think he caught Cole at all, um, and that's fine. I, I stand by that decision. Cole is making a Cy Young run. Um, Cole deserves a, a Cy Young in his career. The last thing you want to do is to ruin that with maybe a a few walks or wild pitches while he's getting a new catcher at the end of an an iconic year, frankly. Um, But I want to pivot to his offense because that's really awesome. Wells' upside and his value as a catcher, you know, there was talk about moving him to be a first baseman or maybe platoon first base left field DH kind of deal. Um, And when you talk about hitting catchers, you know, hitting catchers come in their value and that they can be adequate to plus defensive catchers, which we saw from him. Um, with improvement to be made and the athleticism is there but behind the plate um, in the month he was up he had a 97 wrc plus uh, average you know you like that from a catcher and we're talking small sample we're only talking a month Um, but if you cut it to the final two weeks of the season from september 17th um, through the end of the year austin wells was second on the yankees with a 206 wrc plus um, and that's him running into a few homers, but that's what you look for for him. You know, a few homers in Kansas City, a few homers at the stadium. Um, that's where, like, if you have a, a six, seven hitting catcher, um, like putting up, running into what, 25 homers, 30 homer potential he has in 120 games or 100 games that he'll get at the catching position. Um, I love Austin Wells as, as a mainstay, as a catcher. So, um, fully give him run. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of conflicting opinions about what Wells' role on the team should be. Um, because if you're looking at a World Series team, do you do you want a first-year catcher 
Um, because Austin Wells isn't like Adley Rushman, he's not Buster Posey level prospect, right? So, um, so so there's some there's some conflicting opinions on you know how good is the Yankees ceiling with Wells being that day in day out catcher, but his bat is there, man. I don't know. I think the, the upside is is really impressive, even if that's an 80-80 split with Trevino. I don't know. What are you thinking about that? I personally love the Trevino and uh, Wells tandem. I think that's probably the best direction that they can go in. Obviously, Cole's going to have a conversation with the front office and with management about Wardvet and being okay with bringing in a new catcher. I, I think but, Trevi yeah. takes care of Wardvet, in yeah. my opinion. I think because Cole, because Trevi used to catch Cole every time. Yeah. So I think Cole just didn't want Cole wanted someone for him. So mm-hmm. if that becomes Trevi. And then Trevi becomes that mentor, defensive replacement catcher, like, and we kind of transition Wells into being the three out of five catcher. I, I don't know. That that's what I like. Yeah, and then I think it's also when when because Higgy and Rortfit both probably raised their draft, not their draft stock, but their trade stock a little bit by you know Higgy had a really solid I think end of the season at the plate. Um, he wasn't playing every day because the kids were playing every day, but when he was playing, he was hitting the ball pretty well. Um, we all knew that Higgy was a pretty streaky hitter, but when he gets on a streak, he can go on a tear. Um, he ha- provides pop from back there, and that's pretty valuable. And he's also pretty reliable from the defensive standpoint. He's also worked with plenty of veteran pitchers and young pitchers, so he has the experience to you know provide valuable value for any team. Whereas Wardfit, who's a lot younger, very controllable, um, definitely glove first, but still a lefty at the end of the day. He can hit the ball decent. And then on top of that, he's caught Garrett Cole for the last month or so. <laughs> and that is so important. <laughs> like you can't overstate how important it is to have the same guy out there and Cole insisting on having him during his Cy Young bid. So I think that creates a very easy pathway for Wells to stay in. Um, and it's not like there are going to be any catchers on the free agent market or even the trade market that are going to be realistic gets that are, have a better bat. That's kind of where my mind lays. I just don't see any other better options. Although I will say the Yankees do have a few exciting catchers, like Augustin Ramirez is also, I think, in double-A right now. And then Ben Rice is in triple-A. Both of them are very promising, and both of them hit the shit out of the baseball. So if you are going to see any changes at the catcher position, expect to see some invites to Florida training, um, to Tampa, for, uh, you know, spring training. That's where you're going to figure out if you have anything internally that might be another potential person to, you know, scruffle things up a little bit. Yeah, to me, for next year on the major league roster, our our catching options are all internal. And uh, honestly, I think the all the catchers you're going to see next year on the major league team, you know, aside from maybe a start or two with injury, if anything happens, um, are the four that we mentioned, you know, Wells. Trevi, Higgy, and Rortvet. Honestly, I would think in appearance order, um, unless you know Higgy gets traded or Higgy and or Rortvet get traded, obviously. Um, I want to, I want to transition to Jason Dominguez. Um, what, what a week for American League Player of the Week, <laughs> Jason Dominguez. Um. What did you think of Dominguez? And I'll pull up some of his stats as we talk. He never once looked overwhelmed 
by the just the prospect of being in the majors for the first time ever. Like he was as calm as could be at the plate. He had a nice little smile on his face, but it wasn't like the nervous smile. He just looked like he was in his element from day one from at that number one against Justin Verlander out of all pitchers and hitting that first home run. I think we both had the same reaction where it was just like, Oh, this dude's ready to roll. Um, He kind of picked up right where he left, left off in spring training and then he had that really slow start, I think, in double A. Mm-hmm. Took him a while. Like he was walking a lot. And you can tell that the plate discipline was there, but he wasn't connecting enough. And just I want to say in like July, he really started to figure it out and piece things together. And then by August, like he was ready to roll. And they brought him up to AAA and they were like, Oh, we don't really you don't need to be here. You need to get the call up. Um, and that revitalized the team more than anyone else, like straight up. Um, if it wasn't for him, I don't know if they start that tear, you know, that they, you know, really went through the month of September. Um, he was phenomenal. His glove looked great. He ranged the outfield pretty well. He had a few like kind of shady, uh, routes for the ball. Didn't really matter because he was athletic enough to make up that space. Arm looked good up until, I mean, I had a feeling that that throw in Houston was what kind of initiated the issues with his elbow um but it was a good throw so it was like one of those things where it's like the arm is clearly there hopefully he comes back from the surgery which i think that with his first tj and the bracing and all that he should be just fine it just it sucks that that's the way that he goes down because he was really onto something like significantly exciting that this fandom hasn't seen in a long time like gary sanchez in 2016 the way that he took off might have been the only thing that could have been as comparable but I think this is even more significant just because this kid signed at 16 years old. Now he's 20 and he's performing at as good of a level as you could have asked for out of someone that young and who pretty much ultimately skipped AAA. Like that is so impressive to me. Yeah. Uh, Jason Dominguez played eight games with the Yankees. He had 33 plate appearances, four home runs, a 258 average, a 162 uh wrc plus uh good for american league player of the week in his eight career major league games um he was a great flash man and you're optimistic about an outfielder with tommy john they're not making a lot of throws they can really take it easy you can hide your arm in the outfield um you know shortstop is really the only position player i'm i'm concerned about and catcher of course um he was very good uh, I mean, you look at it, we're talking very small sample sizes. We can look at his minor league season, which we did when we were talking about his call up. Um, the strikeout rate is still high. He's going to strike out about 25 to 30 percent of the time. Um, honestly, it, it wasn't that high because he was hitting a lot. The OPS is going to be there. He hits doubles. He hits homers. Um, and, and it seems like you see this a lot with minor league players, especially when they have a, a line drive swing. Um, you go to slightly smaller ballpark. You have guys throwing a bit harder. Um, and those long gapper doubles at 105, 110 miles an hour become homers at 110, 115. Um, and that's what we saw with Dominguez. It, it's so brutal that we thought we had a center fielder locked in for next year. At just after releasing Bader, literally a week, um, or or waving Bader rather. Um, and now the Yankees have a gap in center field and. Does that look like a year two Aaron Judge? Um, we already had the gap in left field, um, but 
so I'm I'm getting ahead of myself now, but Dominguez I'm excited for. I think the expectations have been put higher even somehow with his performance, but I I do think that that small sample proved that it's not going to overwhelm him. He can adapt well. Spring training was not a blip. This week was not a blip. He's going to be a good pro, whether he's a consistent all-star or he's just a quality contributor in left and center field as a Yankee. Um, I think this guy is, you have to pencil him in for the next six years of Yankees baseball. What also made him very impressive to me is the fact that he looked great from both sides of the plate. Like you yep. very rarely see a switch hitter who's a true switch hitter. Like a lot of the time it's a guy like, I don't like throwing him under the bus, but Waldo, for example, clearly hits better from one side of the plate than the other. Um, Dominguez looked very comfortable in both batter's boxes, and that is something that can't be overlooked as well, just because we've talked about how righty-heavy this lineup is. Now you have a bat that can hit comfortably from the left side, can hit comfortably from the right side, and just provide that giddy-up like in front of Aaron Judge or behind Aaron Judge even in the lineup where he's going to hit for power and contact, and he will get on base a lot. Um that injury is just so brutal for the reasons that you laid out. The fact that they have to go out there and now figure out what the solution is. Um, Pereira finished the season decent, but he also didn't impress enough, I think, to, you know, lock down a spot, go get an invite to spring training unless he gets traded. Um, he's just in a weird spot because, like, Pereira has a very nice swing. I think he swings aggressively. But I can see him turning into a hobby bias type of hitter where he's just a free swinger and doesn't really have any plate discipline at all. So that's the big thing for him. Um, I think they're going to go out there and they have to really consider the outfield options, especially lefty bats. And they need some kind of contingency plan. So that way you don't have to rely on Aaron Judge being in center field, especially after having such a big toe injury this year, you know, like that. It should be all about conserving Aaron Judge while still putting your team in the best possible position to win games. And that's a good segue to left-handed outfielders. Um, our other significant call-up was Esteban Florial, um, who in the last week or two, somewhat impressed. I mean, the stats don't show it overall. During this last stint, Florial got added to the 40-man roster. He was not on it notably this year, which is why you didn't see him up and down like in previous years. Um, he did have a very good uh, batting average OPS in AAA, but you know we've talked about the holes in the swings, it being long, um, and, and why he might not translate at the major league level the way that we're confident that Dominguez will. Um, he had 71 plate appearances. He had an 83 WRC plus, um, a few hits notably in the Toronto series. He was kind of a pest there. Um, yeah, 14 hits and 71 plate appearances, good for a 230 batting average. Um, some what looked like solid defense, but the metrics don't necessarily agree with it. He doesn't take the best routes despite his really good athleticism. What did you think of Florial's stint this month? First of all, Speed Demon. He's really fucking fast. Yeah. Um, he runs the bases as quickly as anyone, and I think that whether or not he's going to hit consistently is going to at least open some eyes. And I think the Yankees already probably knew this, but I think it really opened eyes to people that were able to watch him for the first time on, you know, like an actual legitimate run of games. Um, He is athletic, he's dynamic, and he's young. 
and the Yankees need players like that. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if they end up with him starting out of the roster on opening day. That being said, he definitely did have probably his best burst of offense that we've seen out of him in any appearance that he's shown in the majors so far. Um, I don't still know how it's going to translate into a 162-game season, but the strikeouts weren't nearly as big of an issue as they had previously been, showing that he did definitely improve a little bit, and he's also matured into a more mature hitter. Um, There is a lot to look forward to there. I just don't know if the Yankees like him as much as we do. You know, like, that's part of the problem with Flo. I think that's always been the thing, is the fans have seen some potential and his numbers in AAA were fantastic this year. He was one of the best AAA players in the league. That being said, the Yankees were so hesitant to call him up. So it's just not a matter of like if he should get called up and should stay up. It's a matter of are they willing to give him an extended chance next year with a clean slate of games to actually be on this team? Because he is, I believe, entering free agency as a minor leaguer. Yeah. And – I have to agree with the Yankees' hesitancy, to be honest, because Esteban Florial, I think, has the potential to be a good to, I won't say great, a good to solid long-term MLB player, right? But if you're talking, you know, 25-year-old or however old he is right now, Esteban Florial with less than a year, yeah, 25 years old, um, with less than a year of MLB service time, um, a Yankees center fielder, or more more notably, a, a center fielder for a playoff slash championship aspirational team, I don't think Floreal is there yet. So the Yankees are looking at their options. Floreal is at the end of his minor league control. The Yankees either have to roster him and keep him for the full year, or they have to part ways with him, or let him walk and, and get a minor league deal or a spring invite elsewhere. Um, and that's a lot of talent, a lot of potential to leave out of your organization. Uh, but at the same time, they've used their call-ups. They've used their time with Florial, And he, aside from this blip, um, hasn't shown it at the major league level. Um, I think it's in Esteban's best interest to stay with the Yankees next year. Um, and and Florial is that backup outfield piece. He's that fourth outfielder. Um, he's going to run into 60 games. He's going to play a lot of center field, I would think, with Dominguez out. But the answer, I was talking to to Jolly Olive of, of John Boy Media about, about a few baseball things. I saw him on Sunday, um, and I mentioned Florial as a center fielder. And he goes, phew, I didn't think that was the, the plan. And he's like, is that the plan? I'm like, there's no one else yet. And he goes, I guess you're right. The Yankees would have to show that they're willing to sign someone um, when they haven't been. And And that was part of a greater Yamamoto conversation as well. Um, which the Yankees haven't shown willingness to splurge on multiple free agents the way that they did in previous years. So if Florial is your center field option, I don't like it. If he's your fourth outfielder, give him a run. He, he's a pro. He can be a serviceable MLB player. Um, I do think the day-in, day-out play time was useful for him, especially a high strikeout guy, uh, because in AAA, he started every game. Even when Dominguez was there, he was DH left field. Um, he was center field for a hundred games with Scranton. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but I do think he's made his way onto the roster. I was impressed by all three of these guys, um, who were significant call-ups in September. For sure. 
All right, next prospect, and then we can get into some uh, new pitching news that we saw over the course of September. Um, you mentioned Pereira. I think I'm good with the Pereira conversation. I don't think right now he's an MLB option. He's probably going to get some more run in the minor league system. But let's jump to um, a guy who had a bigger sample, especially with Josh Donaldson leaving, um, Oswald Peraza, who had some games at short, mostly played third base, was stellar defensively, um, and, and showed something offensively. What did you think of Peraza's run on the Yankees this year? His glove is so good. He yeah. moved in the infield as well as anyone. He's so smooth, and he just his arm is fantastic. He's the full package when it comes to a defensive player. And the fact that you complement that with once they gave him back his leg kick, because they took that away from him when he first came up and he struggled, once he got that back, he turned into a force at the plate as well. He was hitting gappers left and right. He was hitting to all parts of the field. He was hitting the ball hard, like how we saw him last year in 2022 when he came up. That's everything you can ask for out of an infielder. And we've both said that we would be completely comfortable with Volpe, you know, playing shortstop moving forward. However, Peraza is going to get a big look at shortstop. Just inevitably, the way that he moves, the way that his arm is sustainable, I think that he's going to put himself in a position to at least be back in that conversation. That being said, if you can have both him and Volpe in the infield, like you take that any day out of the week, that middle infield would be elite, whichever way you spin it. It's just a matter of, I think that the Yankees at this point have seen enough from him to, to like trust that he's going to continue to op, uh, improve offensively to be at least what, like a 110 WRC plus type of player um, moving forward at minimum. If you have that complemented with outstanding defense, a gold glove defensive player, you have so much value right there. And he can be a long-term piece for this team. Yeah, I like Raza. The tough thing for me is how he fits into the puzzle pieces and what it what his value means positionally. Um, Aaron Boone this week said, and it he was prodded and it wasn't definitive. Um, he said that Volpe is the starting shortstop next year. And, and that makes sense. He had full run for the year. You don't bring the guy out for the year. Um, he's not going to declare an open competition. Um, Boone also mentioned that he thinks that Volpe might win the gold glove. There's, there's merit to that um, with Wander Franco being out. Uh, it's basically between Volpe and Bobby Witt by all metrics. Um, Bobby, though, had a good... <laughs> Bobby had a good season and Bobby had a, was bad defensively. And now he's good. Volpe in his first year, um, he's going to get gold glove votes. He's going to be top two or three in American league gold glove. Though. If you look at the scope of the, the entire league, most of the great defensive shortstops, Dansby, Willie Adamas, Lindor, they're all in the national league. So take that with a grain of salt. Peraza arguably is a better defender than Volpe and Volpe who might come second or third in the gold glove in his first season. So you're looking at that. Okay. Peraza. Now you're going to have an elite defender wherever you put him, whether that be second or third, but Peraza doesn't have the offensive upside that Volpe does. He has contact. You know, his stint last year, he had 300. This year, about 250, 240. Um, he doesn't walk. He has some power. They allowed his leg to come back. Um, and, and I think that works for him. We saw that work for him last year and in the minor leagues when he was using it. So maybe that'll project up. But it's tough for me because you have such a good offensive producer in Glaber at second. I don't think Glaber can play third. Now you have Peraza at third. Okay, you have an elite 
defensive third baseman, um, but someone who I, I was trying to slice up his stats over the course of his time. It, it was bad overall from, from August through the end of September. Uh, he had a good stretch for the first two weeks of September where he was above average. You're talking like a, a 125, 120 OPS, WRC plus, however you slice it. His last two weeks, he was at like a, a negative 20, I think, WRC plus wise. So you're not looking at offensive consistency. Um, and we had Josh Donaldson last year who had a very good to elite defensive season. Um, Peraza, I think, is even better than Donaldson defensively. Um, but a gaping hole at the third base position is a tough position where third basemen are real hitters. Um, and if you're not moving Glaber Torres, you're not moving Volpe. I think it creates issues per for Peraza where I think he would be a great addition for the Yankees. Maybe he's also like a a luxury utility piece. Um, but you already have DJ. Maybe he plays third, like and Oswaldo is just the bench piece. Um, but I could see him being utilized in in trades if the Yankees are gonna try and trade this offseason. Yeah, I think you either have to start him or you have to trade him. It, it really yeah. comes down to that. There's no, oh, let's just use him off the bench. Let's call him up here and there. Like, no, you have to be definitive with your decision. Yeah, He's a uh, pro. He's a major leaguer. He, he's absolutely ready to play at the major league level. Uh, level. He's already proven that. Um, it brings up an interesting question of would you, in that sense, maybe look at Jaime Calendario for um, – yeah. Candelario, exactly for free agency and have him fill third base because he is a switch hitting uh, all star this year. Essentially, um, he's been in the league for a while. He's been pretty sneaky under the radar since his time in Detroit. Um, it could be a very viable option, especially if they opt to not go for a Cody Bellinger. Um, it it'll be interesting to see, just because like you're right, the most viable trade ship they probably have right now because Dominguez has completely proclaimed himself as off limits is Peraza. And that sucks to say, because he did really show some amazing flashes this year, but yeah, I mean, the Yankees have shown a reluctance to call him up several times throughout the last two years. So where's he going? (laughs) Do you think it's in our best interest to ride with Volpe? I think you need to give him another year to see what you have out of him. He has shown so much positive, just, you know, oomph from the offensive side. And then his defense was a pleasant surprise because I think there were some, you know, issues of people thinking his arm would be a serious issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at least for the next five years, he can do what Trevi- Trevor Story did in his first five years as a shortstop, which was play a really good defense and not have the best arm but still have a quick release um it's just tough because he really does need to cut down the strikeouts quite a bit you know like he struck out a lot Volpe um and every now and then he does look overmatched at the plate but you know that the potential's there so I'm very conflicted in that sense I do believe that it's right to stick with him because he just has that that New York City moxie and like that Yankees energy to him which I think we need, um, but also he might be better suited at second base. That's a might. I, I can't say that for certain, but I think eventually in his career, he's going to make that move. It's almost inevitable. I just don't know when that's going to be. 
That being said, he can be more than serviceable for us at shortstop still. It's a really tough timeline for the Yankees. And I, I think this is going to be a tough conversation that they have that I don't know the answer to, and I'm not paid to know the answers to, right? Um, but you look at Volpe's year and he showed a lot of good signs, right? But offensively, like he he didn't walk that much. So like you we were high on steals. He wasn't on base a lot. He hit barely over 200. So you're looking at him versus Peraza. Volpe was really solid defensively. Um and you you can't predict, but if you put Peraza out there for the full year, I think Peraza gives you similar production. So you're looking at that hit tool that that you said, right? Like Volpe has the power potential. Volpe has more of, of that speed potential, but he might be a long-term second base option. So the Yankees, I could understand them being hesitant to part ways with Peraza and um, kind of storing him in the minor leagues or on the team still because Glaber Torres has his uh, fourth year of arbitration. He, he was a Super 2 guy. His last year of arbitration um, next year, after next season, Glaber Torres is a free agent. So I think the Yankees next year have to make a decision. What is our long-term middle infielder? Because you're either extending Glaber. I, I don't think you can or should let Glaber hit the free agent market because he's going to command a lot of money For, from the Yankees. Also, he's going to command money. Glaber, I could see being the type of player where you can get a significant discount for being homegrown. Glaber has a lot of emotional attachment to the Yankees. He loves being there. You, we've seen how devastated he's been being in trade talks and that how, how that even impacts his play. Um, So I I think it's in the Yankees' interest to decide on what is the future of your middle infield. Um, And that might be Volpe at second base, and I don't think they're they're going to do that. So it's either a Peraza trade, which I think should happen this offseason, um, or maybe you, you still hoard him at the deadline, but then that adds variation. Whether if he's a bench player on the major league team, he's not going to get to show his talent. If he goes to the minor leagues, if he doesn't hit well, now you're you're tanking where he's at a high value wise right now. Um, and if Peraza goes, I think you have to extend Glaber because that's where we need to lock up our, our middle infield. So it's it's tricky because I agree with your point where Volpe projects as a second baseman long term, but Volpe's also 21 years old. You know, yeah. can can you ride him out throughout his Yankees control and then have that conversation about free agency? Is he a shortstop? Because you also have Trey Sweeney. You also have guys who are 14 years old right now. Um, playing. Patrick is going to be like, I think he's the most talented out of all of them. Yeah. So like, and there, there also might be some, you know, some freshmen playing JV baseball right now that might be like a Yankees prospect or, you know, some kid who, who's playing winter baseball in the Dominican Republic um, who's going to be the next Yankees superstar when the Yankees have to make that decision. So um, what what we need to see is the Yankees focusing now. They have they have this influx of talent. You know, like we we have Dominguez, Wells, Pereira, Florial, like Peraza, like all of them have gotten major league showings. Not all of them can be on the team and the Yankees be productive. They could all be on a team, but then we're the Pittsburgh Pirates. Then we're the Kansas City Royals, right? If you're gonna have this youth movement and, and allow them to develop. If, if the Yankees expectation is going to be championship, the Yankees need to be decisive and be willing maybe to be wrong or to be wrong long-term getting rid of pieces to try and uh, supply this team with the reinforcements that we need on a veteran level. 
And I don't know if the Yankees are willing to do that. And I'm hoping that this audit situation that we're in um, is going to address that, hopefully. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, there's so much that needs to be done with the analytics and with the way that they approach scouting and all that. They've they've drafted well, I want to say, like the last few years. I really like Spencer Jones. I've been high on Spencer Jones since he'd been, he's been drafted. Um, but it's a matter of developing that talent and making sure that they stick and they trade them at the right times. If they feel like there's not a place for them on this team, you know, and that's the part that's frustrating. I don't want to see a guy like Peraza end up like Floreal, who's just kind of been in limbo for two years, three years. And like that, that would just be too so tough because this guy has all the potential in the world to at least be a serviceable starter for a team. And to not capitalize on that and not trade him at the right time, that's a problem. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'll let you make the decision. Do you want to talk Mike King or do you want to talk the the front office organizational audit? Now let's go Kinger. Let's go Kinger first. Yeah. All right. Um, Mike King, as Jake alluded to before, has been a consistent starter, um, starting pitcher for the month of September. Um, and he looked really good. He was the Yankees might might have been the Yankees' second best pitcher this year if you include his relief time. I mean, he had a hundred innings. He was coming off of a significant injury last year. What did you think of Mike King? First of all, stuff is fully back. Um, yeah, I think that's important because there were questions earlier in the year. His velo was a little bit down to start, but he did break his elbow like that's <laughs> that's kind of expected to happen. And it's not like he had TJ or anything like that, so it's not. He didn't have any residual nerve issues or anything like that to our knowledge. Um, the stuff looked fantastic this last month and it's looked the same. Like I feel like his stuff has translated so well from as a long reliever or reliever to a starter. Like he didn't have to take anything off of his fastball. He's still sitting 97, 98. I think I've seen him pump 99 a few times on the four seamer. And I, I didn't think he'd do that when he got stretched out, but he's keeping it, which is awesome. And it's impressive because he's able to sustain it throughout the game. So it's not like it's the, a lot the same way how Garrett Cole's able to sustain his velocity. And if Garrett Cole wants to pitch to 95, the first three or four innings, five innings now, he'll do that. And then he can pump it up to 96, 97, 98 when he needs that big strike three or to get out of a jam later in the game. You're seeing King already do that. And that's so impressive because he has a crazy tunneling ability where he throws everything from this, you know, high three quarters crossfire position. And they're all, every single pitch is coming out of that same tunnel, but they all move in drastically different ways. So he has kind of like the stuff of a clay Holmes, but with the command of someone more like Corey Kluber, which is a dangerous combination where you have a two seamer that cuts like a razor blade through the air with insane arm side run and then you have a slider that's going the exact opposite direction that's lethal for any pitcher and he has the build to be a sustainable starter he has the like mental makeup he's a competitor he what he struck out 13 blue jays in six or seven innings that's insane wild and he had no walks too <laughs> and that's even <laughs> wild he is everything that we could have asked for out of, you know, a developed Yankee pitcher. And it's it's kind of crazy and bittersweet almost to see Severino go and then King kind of emerge as the next big homegrown Yankee starter. I I love it. 
it's it's very exciting because it also means that you don't have to worry on not two but only one free agent position or one pitcher position probably coming in this season. Mike King is a starter, 40.1 innings, 2-2-3 ERA. Um, strikeouts were high. I mean, we saw someone who went from being kind of like a setup man, one inning stopper to being, okay, now he's your two, two and a half, three inning guy um, who was really valuable at the beginning of last year when the Yankees were making their run. Um, he got a few starts. He was only four innings, five innings, six innings, um, getting up to over a hundred innings total on the year. Uh, it, it was so impressive. And it it's kind of like a, a breath of fresh air because we were, before King was really transitioned to being a starter, we're looking at um, Severino, who had been awful over July and August. We're looking at Carlos Rodon, who had been underwhelming, uh, got kind of better and then was at... <laughs> don't, even, don't even want to talk about his 0.09 earned runs performance on the last day of the season, or, or on, on his last start of the season, rather. Um, so you're trying to convince yourself of Clark Schmidt, um, Carlos Rodon coming back to form, three agent sightings like Yamamoto, um, Domingo Herman, but I assume is not going to be with the organization anymore. And then Nestor Cortez, who was iffy this year at best, returning from injury, which seemed to have been plaguing him all year. Michael King looks like he can be a 2-3 MLB starter um, with potential to be a number one, man. I mean, his stuff, he was building up his pitch mix. Um, he had refined it more as a reliever when the Yankees were truly winning. Um, and I'm glad that they allowed that conversion um, to let him be a starter because you, his his last starter, second to last start of the year, five inning, 13 strikeout performance against the Blue Jays who were gunning for a playoff spot, who at that time very much were competing with four different teams for for two spots. Um, and they ended up making it in. But you're talking very plausibly the Blue Jays um, they lost crucial games with with King starting. Well, I think they won the game that King started, right? Because the Yankees gave it away in the end, but um, got shut down by Cole. You know, they're a potent offense that were trying to put anything together, and he shut them down. Um, I'm super impressed with, with his performance, and it was a lot better than I expected. I mean, I was looking for King being a starter next year to be serviceable and give us a four ERA. Now I think it's plausible that he's a lot better than that. I, I really do believe firmly that Corey Kluber is the perfect comparison to him because they have nearly identical pitch mixes, except King has better stuff. Yep. And that can indicate a guy that's a low three, high two, mid two ERA potentially with 200 plus strikeouts a season, assuming that he stays healthy. And he's only, what, 28 years old. So he's not, he's just now entering really his physical prime. Um, the Yankees need to do everything they can to hold on to him. I I don't know how many more years uh, he has of uh, arbitration, but he is someone that should be an organizational staple for a long time, especially when you have other guys like Drew Thorpe coming up and then um, Will Warren and Clayton Beater. You're going to want to test the waters with your younger guys, but at the same time, now you know that you have one person in the organization that's there right now that fits perfectly behind Garrett Cole. Yeah, and you mentioned the contract stuff. The Yankees are in a great position with him with how arbitration works because um, 
he's going into this offseason will be his second arbitration uh, dealing. So next year, 2024, will be his ARP two. Um, but he only got paid 1.3 million last year, which is you're talking about quality high end reliever kind of payment. Um, a starting pitcher would get a lot more than that. So uh, King is going to King and his agent are going to be looked to getting paid as starting pitch pitchers, um, which may be the case. But his bump up can only be marginal from what he got the year before, because our arbitration isn't necessarily reflective exactly of your performance, rather of scaling up to the league and to that performance. Also, he only threw 100 innings, only 40 of which were a starter. So the Yankees are you know, de decent, well within their rights to say that he wasn't a starting pitcher last year, that he was a relief pitcher. Um, so you're talking about a guy who, who, if he performs somewhat close to how he did this last month of the season, um, is going to be way underpaid, way undervalue. Um, and that kind of offsets maybe the overpay of Rodon, at least initially, while he, while he struggles, you hope that he gets back into ace form. Um, but Michael King plus Carlos Rodon production um, might be equal to their value uh, for, for the beginning of next year. So that's what the Yankees uh, can look forward to. It's also, you know, if we talk about great relievers and King was an awesome reliever. Um, King went five, five and a half months as a relief pitcher this year. He threw 64 innings as a reliever. He went about three and a half weeks as a starter. He threw 40 innings, sorry, 40 innings and versus 64 innings yeah. um, as a starter. So just the scale of what starting pitching gives you at that production is so valuable. Relievers are important. They're very valuable. But your most reliable reliever is going like 75 innings. That that's a high octane relief position. Um, Michael King, you're hoping gives you a Clark Schmidt type season, and King has better upside, better stuff, better pitch mix. Um, 150 innings to 200 innings would would be awesome for Michael King, um, and I think would significantly improve the Yankees for next year. Yeah, I mean, if you want to compare him to if he was a free agent right now, you're looking at a guy that's at minimum making the qualifying offer, which is like 22 million. I yep. think that a team would be willing to offer him 25 million for his services at his age a year. Um, this is a huge, huge, huge step in the pitching department for the Yankees. I agree. Are there any other players from the last month of the season? you want you want to talk about judge and cole are the best ever <laughs> oh my god like it is garrett cole man he's the best pitcher in baseball and it's not a discussion anymore he just is like he he is him he is uh inevitable he goes out there every five days every day of, the, of his anticipated starts in the season and he just shoves even when he's like having an off day this season like he was still better than your number five you know like he's just that guy and he's pitched smarter he's pitched more efficiently he's learned how to use contact like weak contact inducing as his biggest asset whereas i think he used to get a little bit too strikeout heavy and he would try to go for the strikeout on three two counts where it's like seven or eight pitches and it's just a battle every time out he's still having those but it's only sprinkled in the games here and there and He's relying on the double play ball so much more. It's just like he's adapted and grown so much as a pitcher and he's put to bed all of the idiots that were saying, oh, he needed the sticky stuff to like be a good pitcher. Like that's not a thing. He's shown that he's just elite. 
And he, like, I think the perfect career trajectory for him is probably a Justin Verlander. Um, he's almost secured, I think, if he were to retire tomorrow, he would potentially be in the Hall of Fame already. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, totally. he had a 7.5 war this season. That's yeah. that's unreal. He's the best Yankees ace that we've had since maybe Andy Pettit in the 90s. And you can you can easily argue that he was better than Andy Pettit. That is like, there's no doubt in my mind that he's... Yeah, this is better than CC. Yeah. Maybe um, Clem, Clemens Cy Young years, but... Yeah, I think that CC was probably at his best before he got to the Yankees. That half yeah. season with the Milwaukee Brewers when he went off and earned that contract. That's crazy. That's like that's pretty much the level that Cole performed at this entire season. Obviously, obviously the ERA wasn't in the like sub two area, like area, but it was at the same time he brought it down to like a two six something to end the season, and his WHIP was below one. Like that is an elite player right there, and the fact that you had him and Judge <laughs> carrying this team while Judge literally had a torn ligament in his toe and put up just video game numbers in 104 games, whatever it was. You can't say enough about these guys' talent. Like, it's just not possible. Garrett Cole's whip being under one, I was kind of, like, praying for it the whole month of September. But I was like, if if you, like, do the math, you know, given, like, how impactful one base runner is to whip, I was like, okay, like, he'd have to throw, like, a no hitter or two or like a bunch of like not give up base runners. Like it's unreasonable for him to go out on his last start of the season against the blue Jays. Like I said, who were vying for a playoff spot. Like there's very plausible scenarios where the blue Jays are not in the playoffs and the Seattle Mariners are Um, to go out and go nine innings, two base runners, just two Brandon belt hits um, and then get his whip to a 0.98. On the year, he had to both go the scale of innings, and the he had two two base runners in nine innings. Like, he, and he needed that level of proportion to skew it below one. Um, this is an elite season. I mean, his 2019 season was special. I mean, you're talking a 13.8 K per nine, um, a run of 25 games in a row undefeated, um, a 2.5 ERA. This year, he did everything you needed. You know, his K per nine, only nine and a half. That's low for Garrett Cole. That's fantastic for Major League Baseball, obviously. 263 ERA. Um, and a big portion of that is his 0. 0.9 uh, or 0. 0.85, rather, runs per uh, home runs per nine relative to last year being just about 1.5. Um, him getting rid of the home run ball. You know, focusing less on trying to strike out every player, especially lower in the order, but getting outs. Um, this year was the craftiest season I've seen, I think, from a Yankees pitcher, maybe aside from CC when his talent was gone, um, you know, and, and being really smart. But Cole was both incredibly smart this year um, and bl- blew away guys when he needed to. Um, one of the more special pitching seasons I've ever seen, like you alluded to. Probably the most repeatable can like mechanics from a pitching standpoint. Oh, yeah. Well, um, he's like a robot out there, and like I think he has perfectly learned how to control his emotions. But back to what you were saying, though, like I think that the fact that he was able to kind of unleash that knuckle curve and then the the cutter and the changeup and use them at any given moment made him so much more dangerous. Because we've seen games last year in 2022, he had a great season, but he would also struggle. You know, like maybe he would have the 
the fastball going, but he would lose the slider completely. So we had to work through it. And like, he would end up giving you five innings, six innings and four and runs in like certain blends of games. This season, you didn't see that at all. He was still able to go to just about any pitch he needed to. And if he recognized that his velocity was a little down, he would be able to mix in the cutter and, you know, have guys thrown off that way. Like he always felt like his equilibrium or that he was always tampering with the the hitters equilibrium. And that's what you need to do as a pitcher. You need to make guys as uncomfortable in the po- uh, the box as possible. And no one does it better than him. Yeah, this year I noticed, I I think his offseason work was he got just really comfortable with all of his pitches. And I think he listened to his body more earlier in games before that mistake would happen. Um, and him being dominant really with four different pitches um, and having that feel for his body when he scrapped one pitch or two and he was a two pitch guy the rest of the game, that's what he stuck to. But if you're going in against Garrett Cole, one, his fastball is the best fastball in baseball, maybe in the last five, 10 years, um, especially for a starting pitcher. Two, now you're game planning against four pitches, which he's very comfortable with and is rotating through in your his previous five starts. Um, so you get you get one pitch. You don't know what pitch that's going to be that day. And it changes righty-lefty. And it changes from the second to the third inning sometimes. Um, and that is the impressive part where it seemed like instead of him being like, I should be better, he knew his body to be like, okay, that's gone today. I'm going to be dominant with the next one. And it was like the next pitch up mentality, um, which which I loved from him. Um, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the seven and a half war, unbelievable. Um, you want to talk more about some high war player with, you know, only maybe double or triple the games played of Garrett Cole. It's the captain, Aaron Judge. I mean, what can you say about him this year other than that it's so disappointing that we didn't get to see him play a full season because it, it might have been too the rate of his production is in line with last season um and we might have been robbed from back to back maybe the the best back to back season hitting performance ever if he only played 140 games he would have still hit 55 homers like it it's just one of those you can't <laughs> You can't make up this kind of player. He's like the steroid era without the steroids. It, there's just something about him that is so – he has that perfect balance. Like he had a down season in terms of his batting average, like down season, 260-whatever. He's still a force when he gets in the box. Like you don't know if he's going to have three home runs in one game because he's done it twice this season. Um that's what makes him so dangerous is when he goes on a tear, he goes on a fucking full-blown throttle of the league. It's He scorches the earth. Um, there is no other player. I You can say, like, you can make the argument maybe, like, Jordan um, has the potential to do something like that. But Judge, just based off the numbers, like, he and Corey Seager are two guys that were plagued by injuries this year that kind of had their seasons robbed from them. It's just so unfortunate that Judge's came – from him saving a huge play against the Dodgers that ultimately won them the series, but costed them the rest of the season in a lot of ways. Um, And that's not any blame being put on him. He put his body on the line, rightfully so. That fence should have never been in that kind of condition. Um, It's one of those things you can't really explain it. It's just unfortunate freak accident that, and those happen, you know, but 
he proved to everyone that even if he was a little banged up, he can still play the outfield very well. Like his arm never, you know, tapered down at all throughout that time that he was playing banged up. He was able to stay durable after the injury. He didn't hit the IL once after that point. He seemed to improve health wise too. Yeah. He didn't even really sit once at all. Like he, you thought that he was going to have to play. He was going to have to DH a lot. Right. And that didn't happen. He was in the field consistently. Um, I don't think you could have asked for a better outing when he was on the field. And I'm not concerned about his long-term health necessarily, just because I believe that this isn't a case of being injury prone. It's just a matter of him having really unfortunate injury luck. And there is a difference between the two. One is more soft tissue induced where it's recurring injuries that come from quick twitch movements. And like John Carlos Stanton is the key example of that. Um, he's just too big for his own good. And he, his quads tighten up, his calf tightens up, whatever it may be. That's what I see as injury prone. Whereas judge just, he plays so hard that sometimes he gets injured, unfortunately. Um, I think that he's going to like Garrett Cole get smarter throughout the time that he stays in the league and just like he adapts his games to the point where he conserves his body a little bit. Maybe like how we see Glaber Torres conserve his body. Cause Glaber is kind of, if you want to talk about the pinnacle of health, that's what Glaber has been as a Yankee. Um, I think you're going to see judge be a little bit more conservative at times with the way that he plays in the field, but he's not going to admit it. He's still going to play hard, don't get me wrong, but he's going to do everything in his power to stay on the field because he understands how vital his just presence is for this team. Yeah, it's special. Um, And like you mentioned, if he had the same number of plate appearances as last year, um, he hits 56 home runs at at the rate he was going. Um, Insane stuff from Judge to still pull out 37 homers and, and 75 RBIs in just 106 games. Uh, truly impressive pleasure to watch. And, and it's a shame to me for baseball that, you know, given how many top MVP candidates there are in the national league, that like the top four American league MVP candidates all missed a month plus of the season. Um, Shohei's going to win it partially because when you're both a hitter and a pitcher and you miss a month, it's, <laughs> you still have the the stats and stuff to back it up. But, you know, Seager missing a good chunk of the early season, Judge missing a lot of the middle of the season. Um, and then Jordan Alvarez probably down there, like fourth as well. Uh, it's a shame for baseball that he didn't uh, get the chance to be with the team full throttle. Um, and a shame for the Yankees. And they felt it. And we talked about their reliance on him when we were talking about re-signing him, when they did re-sign him. Um, and we have to we have to supplement him. Uh, and Judge has some interesting quotes about the Yankees' application of analytics. And, you know, we know well how his hitting coach, Peacherman, um, is kind of separate from the Yankees' hitting philosophy from their organization. Um, you know, how he's very independent and knowledgeable with his own statistics. We mentioned the Yankees, the, the audit of the external company to uh, the Yankees analytics team, which, uh, you know, we mentioned before the episode, you know, Damon Oppenheimer is the director of scouting. And then um, refresh me on the director of analytics. What's what's his name again? Oh, Mike Fishman. My, yeah, Michael Fishman, um, who's the director of Yankees analytics. By all accounts, Cashman and Boone are staying. Uh, so what do you think of this review and how do you think the Yankees move from here? Well, Judge was very candid. Um, you can tell that he was just 
downright frustrated with the end result of this season. And I just, it felt like there were traces of that throughout the year that he was showing, but he couldn't show blatantly because he was just trying to keep the morale up. Um, The fact that he said that he's going to be heavily involved. I hope that the Yankees really hear him out because they promised to bring reinforcements around him when they signed him to that big contract and they didn't do anything. They did nothing beyond that point. I mean, they brought in Rodon, but like your offense was always an issue. So how can you justify not making these moves that were essential to the success of your team, especially sustainable success for long-term? I think that it was awesome to watch Judge take Dominguez under his wing, but that's also like, we're not going to see another nine months of Dominguez, you know? So there's a lot a lot a lot of work to be done in terms of how exactly the Yankees are going to navigate through this analytical mess because you can bring in as many coaches as you want to but it's like how how is that going to help when there's so many issues from the top you know yeah and by all accounts the reports are that Cashman is going to stay um, there are louder reports that Boone is going to stay. And I, I think I mostly agree with that. You know, we, we can with Boone rather with Cashman. I think that's a different story. I think like when you're talking about a philosophy that's coming from the top, um, if we're reinforcing that, even if we're changing all, all the analytical uh, people, if we're changing the numbers that we're looking at, the, the physical computers for for <laughs> and these tools for putting these metrics together, um. I think we need a big overhaul in how we look at things. I don't I don't have faith that's going to happen while Cashman is still running it. I mean, he's been a great general manager for his time here. Um, but I'm gonna read you some results based results based analytics. Um the Yankees were 25th in the league in WRC. Um, and they were 22nd in the league in WRC plus. Uh, the Yankees get on base, right? They were 27th in the league in on-base percentage at barely above 303. They were 29th in the league in batting average, which we know the Yankees don't value, but I mean, the, the poor quality on the field did reflect it. Uh, looking at isolated power, that's the only thing the Yankees ranked positively in. So you can tell that this launch angle focus um, might be showing up, but uh, launch angle and exit velocity focus um, which seems oversimplified way to look at hitting to me um, is a big focus for them, but the results aren't showing and the record was there and these statistics showed it. They have to do a lot to fix it. Yeah. There's no beating around the bush there. Uh, I, I don't even know what to say in terms of <laughs> how, <laughs> where to start. You know, I think that it's just like, they really need to take this entire audit seriously or whatever you want to call it. it it needs to be thorough and they need to understand that not every organization deals with this especially the good ones all right i think we have a lot to talk about this off season, and we'll see where the results of that audit go um i think we'll we'll have some murmurs in the beat um but we'll also see what the result of that is by how they go about their players and how they construct this 2024 roster um, we have a lot of input in our next episode or episodes. Um, we're going to do what we did last year. We're going to build the team with how we think the, she- the team should be built. So we'll go through the 40. Um, who are we keeping? Who are we signing? Who are we trading away? 
Um, and we're going to look at money considerations there as well. Uh, the biggest thing this year is how much are the Yankees willing to spend? They have money invested. They went over what we thought they would last year. Um, I think that's encouraging. They have some money off the books like Severino, like Donaldson in the future. So we'll we'll talk about that. Um, but in our final moments here, I think this is our final like 2023 in review kind of show. And next it's going to be for the future. Um, what was your weirdest moment of, of 2023? It's a wonderful season. Uh, so many of them, but I would say one that immediately comes to my mind is going to that game against the twins early on and having to explain to my friend who's from Ukraine, who's never watched baseball before that putting nine runs up in the first inning is not normal and giving up that much hard contact is not normal. That was a Johnny Brito start just for the reference. Um, Wasn't expecting to have more of those this season, but then we (laughs) pretty much see Rodon do the same exact thing like last week. Um, so I got a nice little callback from that, you know. Nice, yeah. Some PTSD from watching that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I that's funny you say that because I thought of that this morning. Uh, I was placing I was placing boosted bets for the for the wild card series. Um, and one of my bets was Edward Julian to to get a hit. Um, and Edward Julian had did he have two homers? in that inning yeah 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 i think he let off the game with two homers on johnny brito um that was a great that was a great moment for the yankees um my favorite it's a bit of a cop out because it's kind of a situation but my favorite moment was the the chicken parm date between wells and volpe um and the result that had probably on um on the hitting coach changes and Wow, I forget I forget the name of the hitting coach. Who is our old hitting coach? Uh Dylan. Yeah. Something. Dylan Lawson. Dylan Lawson. There we go. Yeah. And then Sean Casey coming in. Um, yeah, no, Austin Wells functionally being Anthony Volpe's hitting coach, uh, having chicken parm with him at his at his parents' house in New Jersey, and then being like, Oh, no, remember when you were hitting well? Maybe you should do that. Mm-hmm. Let's look at let's look at some of your footage, which I don't understand how that's not a basic part of scouting and hitting coaching because I don't know that's what that's what I did with with what we had available to us through travel ball and and the high school baseball and stuff so I don't I don't get how the Yankees weren't doing that if Lawson was stuck to an organizational philosophy that maybe didn't translate at the major league level but yeah that, that was my favorite weird situation of the year that was very reflective of how the season went do you think Lawson had them watching film of themselves hit like in the cage and all that. I know that's a weird question because you would expect that every hitting coach would have them do that. But if they are that analytics driven, like I feel like there was some weird stuff going on. They they definitely do the immediate feedback a lot. And I don't know, this is this is me projecting, but they might get bogged down by that on the in the moment, you know, and then like focusing on tinkers on what the future state might be instead of like what current state, you know, or what's worked in the past. I mean Something as simple as Peraza getting back to his leg kick, or um, you know Stanton shifting his feet, or or, or Volpe moving his hands in the right way, because um, I think you could tell early on in the season it it was like it, it was probably instilled in Volpe. Okay, like hey, like you're gonna hit balls hard, you're gonna go for launch angle. That's how you're gonna make it as a major leaguer. Um, and he seemed to be like, all right, I'm gonna take all of these notes that I've got and like apply these diligently, which is the kind of person that that we've seen that he is 
And I don't think that works for him, you know, trying to hit the ball as hard as he can every time. Like we saw Glaber Torres adjust because he's a like he's a season pro now. Aaron Judge, like do their own things. DJ, when Sean Casey came in, um, Casey helped related a lot to DJ. And we heard reports about him helping DJ a lot. So um I don't I don't know that he did. I can't I can't say that he didn't, right? We're not there. Um, but I can say that whatever they did, if something is as simple as that adjustment is made, then there's not enough or there's not the right kind of information being given. And and that seems to be emblematic of how the Yankees organization has been working. They have information. They have a lot of information and smart people, but choosing the right information, choosing the right analysis of the information they have um, and how um, crucially to apply that to major league baseball performance, because information does not equal performance yeah over over information is a real thing information overload oh totally yeah all right but i think that's a good wrap on the 2023 season thanks for sticking with us thanks for sticking with us um we didn't have a lot to say this last month and we said it all now um i think if we did other podcasts we would have just said it then um but we have a lot to say this off season and we'll we'll track how the Yankees go about their offseason. We'll talk about roster, signings, um, philosophy changes, and and where that brings us for 2024. Um, so thank you again. We're going to have some more episodes coming for you in the next few weeks. Um, we might get an end-of-year Cashman press conference. We're probably not going to get another Boone one. Um, and we'll, we'll tell you what the results of that audit are or what you think they are. So thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. Oh, yes.